Read with me now from James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, here, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blasphemy the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I uh, joked with Tom Marshall on, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, um, when I saw him at Open Door, so it was Thursday, that I was just going to read the scripture over and over again for my sermon and not actually add anything, (laughs) because I don't know what to say about this sometimes. You know, I feel like usually there's like a little bit more translation work that goes into writing a sermon, you know. You you have this problem in the text that you connect to a problem in our real world and then there's a solution that's given by someone in the text and then you get to like connect that to some idea and some way of living out faith now. You know, when I I did the sermon on the 5,000, there was this problem of not having enough food to feed people in the text and then you know, like, oh, in our world, like, there's not enough food for everyone, or maybe there is, but we're just not doing a good job of getting them the food, or, you know, the disciples don't trust Jesus, that's a problem in the text, and we don't always trust Jesus, that's a problem in our real world, and how do we move on from there? There's a, there's a mirroring, and then, you know, in that, in that story, you have the solution, Jesus makes something out of very little Jesus has abundance, and we can think about, oh, in our world, how can we find abundance? How can we trust Jesus to make more when there is less? And sometimes these solutions and problems are hard to see for us when we read the Bible or the text for the day. You know, maybe there's like a bunch of cultural nuance where we don't really understand what's going on, so we need someone to do some research beforehand and help us figure that out. Or maybe there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation to our world. Like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing. That's kind of separate and old-timey, and we're just going to ignore that one. But other times, maybe it hits a little too close to home. Or maybe it's a, a sermon that you've heard multiple times, and, you know, I've already heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I know what it means. 
Be nice to people. I did it. (laughs) And I think that is maybe where James chapter 2 hits for us a little bit more. It's really easy to see what James is saying. I don't think any of us are confused about it. Don't show favoritism to those who are rich. James is clear about one way that they're doing it very obviously, where they're asking poor people to sit in a space of submission, to sit at people's feet or over there or stand, where when a rich person comes in, they get offered uh, a seat that's highly favored. And you know, the favoritism is the opposite of what Jesus preached. That's what James is talking about, right? He's talking about love your neighbor as yourself, and the kingdom of God is for the poor. And so the solution is just to stop. Stop doing that, guys. That's good. All right, A plus B equals C. Good enough for me. I will stop doing that. Let's move on. Because I don't think a lot of us like to think about the ways that maybe we're showing favoritism to those who are rich in our midst. I think back to my time in college when I worked for Youth for Christ. I was an intern for them, and they do really great work. And one of the things that we would do is go into lunches sometime to, like, hang out with the students that we knew, um, to, like, maybe bring a little treat, like donuts or something, and just be able to catch up with students because we'd see them once a week in the evening and for an hour, and that's not really enough time to really form any lasting relationships. Um, and, you know, I would go in, and there were the students that I wanted to see, you know, the kids that were fun, and we would have some banter, and I would always save them a donut, you know, like, because if, if we got that kid to come, the popular kid, the fun kid, oh, that's a good thing, right? Everyone else would come then if we got the cool kid to come. And maybe I didn't want to talk to that awkward freshman who didn't really understand how to have a conversation or maybe smelled a little funny and like hadn't learned deodorant quite yet. That was definitely favoritism on my part. Maybe it was for a good reason. Maybe I was right. Maybe if I did get that kid, more kids would come. But I don't think that's what James is calling us to, regardless of how good of a reason we might have for treating someone specially. And I'm new to Fort Street, but I don't think it's a stretch that what I did in my college internship might be happening here in these four walls. Whether it's someone new at a service that you don't really quite know how to talk to, or not inviting someone you don't like as much to that, like, you know, after church event, or who we look to for advice when it comes to making decisions in the church. So how do we stop this favoritism towards the rich and powerful, towards those who make us feel comfortable, towards the people that we want in church, towards the people who look like us? It's a very deeply ingrained habit. We're connected as the Holy Apostolic Capital C Church to that church in James, that James was writing to, that had this exact same problem. That's centuries of having this problem. The church has always had this problem. I don't think we've suddenly magically figured it out by now. We have that mm, piece of us, piece of the church that is connected to that trap. 
And even without this like centuries-long pattern that we have, the outside world tells us, favor the rich, favor those with power, go to them, help them. You know, who, who gets asked to be on nonprofit boards? Is it usually the person that's getting helped by that nonprofit? Or is it usually people who have successful businesses? Who is more likely to get loans with safe interest rates that are nice and low and easy to take care of? And who would maybe benefit more from having those low, safe interest loans? Who is more likely to get taken out of their car and arrested or killed for mild traffic violations? If that's the way our world works, if this is something our church has been working through for centuries, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that Fort Street might have some of these tendencies as well. To think that we would just be able to switch our mindsets the minute we walk into church seems like a little bit of a stretch. So even as we hold the weight of how Fort Street might have some favoritism, I would also like to acknowledge and hold grace and space for the ways that this has been taught to us and that it is not just something that our evil inside of us tells us to do as individuals, but it's something that has been built into how our thinking works. Not to say that we should be lulled into thinking that it's okay or that we shouldn't work to fix it, but that we can also hold grace and extend a little bit of love to ourselves and hold the history of our world at the same time. So what does James say to do? Don't have favorites. And I don't know about you, but when I have a bad habit, someone telling me not to do that bad habit usually doesn't stop that bad habit from happening. And he does a little bit more than that, but not by much. He gives a few different reasons for why maybe we shouldn't have favorites. You know, uh, it goes against Jesus' teaching and against the law. That's a pretty good reason. And having favorites, you're breaking all of the law, which is kind of terrifying. And then he even gets like a little philosophical or maybe a little pragmatic and says, why are you honoring the people that are oppressing you? That seems like a bad idea. He might not be wrong. Why are we honoring the rich who are oppressing us? Having a bit of a reason for breaking a habit is good. That's usually not enough. You know, I think back to when I was a kid and I would bite my nails. And my mom telling me not to bite my nails (laughs) did not break me of that habit. I didn't even notice it most of the time. So like sometimes her, you know, being like, hey, don't, don't do that, you're doing it again, might help me out a little bit. But I really needed more to stop this ingrained pattern within me. I had to do things like paint my nails, you know, because then it was like weird to bite them or, you know, other things like that. Of course, then I just picked up the nail polish, but, you know, what you going to do? But even now, when I'm stressed, I catch myself messing with my nails. When we're stressed, we return to habits and safety and things that make us feel a little bit more stable. But I think there are a couple of things that we can do to start moving ourselves out of this habit and starting afresh. I think the first thing that we need to do is 
look at our posture and pray. Breaking habit is rarely an easy thing, and we're going to get corrected and called out along the way. We're going to mess up, and we're going to have people say, hey, you did it again, and that's okay. We need to hold a posture of humility that says, I'm sorry, that doesn't get defensive or angry when we're getting called out. If we have an attitude of pride or believe that we're above such things as favoritism because we have an open door program or we let our church uh, be open for AA meetings, we're not going to make it. To be able to take critique with graciousness and openness instead of dismissal is a very difficult thing to do and it's something that I constantly have to work on in myself. To stay open to critique, to be humble and have humility. And I think the key to that might be prayer. Prayer is something that can ground us, that can remind us of our, the point of being here. It can soothe our egos and center us in Christ as our goal and as our mission, as our heart, and keeps us focused in on what truly matters. So I encourage us all to pray. To pray for humility, to pray for grace, to pray for space so that we can hold ourselves well, even in the midst of this really difficult shift that God is calling us to. I think another way that maybe we can help ourselves out a little bit is recognize when we are being prioritized. We're all a part of the church, just as this rich and poor man were both a part of the church. Sometimes we're not the actors that say, yes, we're lifting you up and pushing you down. Sometimes we're the person that's getting lifted up to the detriment of the person that's being put down. And to, it's really tricky to recognize when that's happening because sometimes it feels good to get pointed out, to you know, be told that you're doing the right thing, that you've succeeded, that you're successful. And sometimes it's like true, you know, like just because someone's telling you you did a good job or trying to engage you well, that's not a bad thing. We're just trying to make sure everyone is being engaged on that same level. So to notice when your treatment is to the exclusion of someone else or your voice is being prioritized over others is a really important thing. I have this friend named Luke in seminary, and he is probably like way up here. He's so tall. He's a big, tall guy. He's got hair like Thor. It's incredible. He laughs, and it's like a, like a chuckle like Santa, and he plays the bass. He's so cool. He's going to be a great pastor, and his synod thinks so too. So his synod is kind of like his presbytery, so when he's going through seminary, they come alongside him to like help him out, and sometimes they take him out to lunch, which is great. They ask him questions about seminary, how school is going, how his internship is going. It's a bunch of pastors who try to give him advice and help him along, which is all things that Luke deserves as a great seminary student. Those are things that the Synod should be doing for him. But I also have a friend named Anne, who is not nearly as tall as Luke, um, and she's also going to be a pastor, and she's in the same Synod as Luke. She gets invited to these lunches, but for the most part, uh, they only direct their questions towards Luke. And Luke 
honestly could have never noticed. He could have just accepted the questions as his due because they're there to talk to him, to get to know him, but he did. And it bugged him that they were not giving Anne the same treatment as him, that they weren't treating him or treating her with the same expectation of her pastoral ministry as they were with him. So he started not answering any questions. He would just turn to Anne and go, Anne, what do you think about that? Or if it was a question like, what classes are you in? He would answer and then say, Anne, what, question, what classes are you in this semester? I think we can learn a little something from someone like Luke. I think that's something all of us could do. And it's a way to engage everyone around us to say, this is an opportunity for me, but I want everyone to be a part of it. I think we need to move to include others, to give everyone equal opportunity to contribute to the church and to thrive in its community. Because I do believe that's all what you all want at Fort Street. You all want Fort Street to be a place where we encounter God and where we are cared for and loved beyond measure. I truly, truly believe that. But again, we are fighting these deeply ingrained habits that are not going to go away overnight, and we are not probably fighting them in this moment. So let's acknowledge them and find new ways to build habits together. I've thrown out a couple of starting points, a couple of things that we can do, but what else might God be asking us to do and be? How do we welcome people in equally? How do we invite more than just the rich and the powerful to be a part of our conversations? More than just people who we think will add to our church in a specific way through power and money? How do we move beyond just accepting the presence of someone in our midst to really embracing all people and inviting them in? And I know, I know what some of you might be thinking. Emily, didn't we just hire you to do this job for us? Coordinator of Invitational Ministries. That seems like right up your alley. I think it is. And I really appreciate the first step that you guys took towards doing this. You know, works out great for me. But I cannot do that on my own. Being invitational or being welcoming or including all people is not something that you get to contract out. It's not a contract job, unfortunately. I'm not going to be able to come back in two months and say, all right, I've done it. I tweaked a couple of things. Now we're good. It's a culture. Welcoming is a way of being. It's breaking old habits and finding new ways of being in the world. And I'm here to support all of you and as we discover together what that means, because it can't just be my idea. It has to be everyone's idea, everyone moving together in a direction. And I'll put in some legwork, I'll figure out some logistics, but the heart of being invitational is in all of your hands. The heart of living this law that James loves and making it a way of love to your neighbors is something we all have to be invested in. And I see the spirit of that in your choice to be a Matthew 25 church. I see the spirit of it in creating and supporting Open Door. 
Those are beautiful moments of love and action that I think James would be proud of. But James calls us to be that in all arenas, right? To be invitational in all the things we do, to never have favorites. Because being invitational is not a contract job and it's also not a merit badge. You don't get to build one fire and be like, I did it, now I have my fire merit badge. I welcomed one person in, so now I have my invitational merit badge that our church gets to have. We are called to follow the whole law in all of our lives and to follow the love of Christ. Just like we don't get to call it good by hiring an invitational ministries coordinator, we don't get to call it good with open door on Mondays and Thursdays. But I'm so excited for all the ways that we can learn to build that into our everyday life together. The ways that we can learn to do that on Sunday morning and on Tuesday night and on Wednesday afternoon. I'm deeply excited to see how our city and us can become better neighbors so that we can include the people who live across the street at Rocket Mortgage Free Press Building and the ways that we can be with our neighbors who sleep along the side of our building at night. New habits that we're going to build that are uplifting and encouraging, that are loving and joyful, that are honest and full of integrity. These ways of living lift up the image of God that is in each and every one of us. From the person who just walked in to the person who we've known for 30 years. I think if we find a way to do that, to find the image of God in each and every person and to welcome them in, that would be really invitational. Pray with me. God, who has loved us and drawn us in and welcomed us with open arms, teach us your ways. Teach us to love like you. Teach us to break habits and to form new ones that conform to the love of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.